How about ride a bike? Anybody remember how to ride a bike? You guys remember that? I remember learning to ride a bike. Uh, it was back in the, the early 80s. We didn't have Walmart at the time. So you couldn't just go out and buy, you know, an inexpensive bike. You had to hunt around. And my parents are sitting right here to my right. And we hunted around and found a, a previously enjoyed bike. You know, it's okay. I don't hold it against them. And we found that bike and we brought it home and we began the process then of, of making it my bike. And I remember my dad asked me, what color do you want this bike? I didn't know I got to choose my own color. It was a previously enjoyed bike. And I said, I wanted it blue. So then began the process of dismantling this bike, taking it all apart, which for me in my five or six year old mind took about a year and a half <laughs> to take apart. So we took it apart and then we began sanding it down, you know, and we applied the first coat of primer. And I really thought we were moving fast at this point, but uh, we weren't at all and had to sit there by the uh, wood stove. We lived in Bend, Oregon at the time and we had to let it dry for many days. And then we started the first couple coats of the blue enamel, you know, just putting it on one at a time and it began to get shiny and I'd watch it dry. You guys watch paint dry? They say don't do it. I tried it. And I watched it dry, and it took many days again. And finally, when it was ready, my dad said it was ready, and I probably bothered him a lot. And uh, Is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? And we finally put it back together. And I remember putting this bike together, and it was dark out by the time it was assembled. Okay, we lived on Desert Woods Drive there in Bend, Oregon. And my dad said, we can go out. And we can try it out on the road. It's, there's no traffic and we'll do it. I said, yeah, at night, this is great. This is going to be so fun. And I remember getting out on the road with my dad and he would do what every dad does with their kids, run behind me back and forth, up and down, telling me what to do, instructing me on the ways of a bike. And it had been a while since I'd ridden a bike with training wheels or of any sort. And I just remember going back and forth until finally that moment where your dad or your mom or your big brother, uncle, or somebody says, I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go. Just hold the steering. Don't go like that, man. That's going to not be good. And, you, and there's that moment where he lets go. And all of a sudden, you hear his voice behind you, starting to trail away a little bit, cheering you on, and you're going. And it's a surreal moment that ends tragically in a wreck. But <laughs> And mocking from my neighbors, I remember. <laughs> Bigger neighbors than me. Anyways, we're at the end of Romans. Okay? If you haven't been with us, if you're just jumping in or visiting, we've been going through Romans, 16 chapters. It's taken us almost 30 weeks, a lot of verses, a lot of theology. And we get to the end here, and we, we finished it last week. If you were here, uh, great. If you weren't, get the MP3. But we finished it, and as I was considering Paul's heart, as he labored in 16 chapters to get to the end, where he's running now with that bike of theology, the bike of illustration and application for his church in Rome for us today. And he's running with it. And he's like getting ready to send them out and to commit them and to commend them now to walking in the things that they've heard, that they've read, that they've learned. And I want you to notice something. Look at verse 25 of chapter 16. And this is how Paul lets go, okay? He's labored intensely in this epistle. And yet he has the faith to say now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel or the gospel I just shared with you and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul now ends this amazing letter, 11 chapters of education, the last five chapters of application. The first one was principles of God and then the practices of God so we would know how to live because of what God has done now. 
And instead of Paul being a micromanager, as some of us are, raise your hands if you are, you know, tend to just get control of things and think about things too much and micromanage and stress and worry until the Lord teaches you not to do that. Paul here, with that opportunity to write chapter 17, maybe, keep going, you know, 18, 19, just keep these people on a leash, says, you know what? To him who is able to establish you according to the gospel, according to the preaching of Jesus, according to the mystery that has now been revealed. Those three things. And I wanna stress that today. Here we are, South Beach Church, amongst other people as well. And here at this church, and I've seen this kind of trend throughout a lot of churches lately, there's been kind of a movement away from using the senior pastor title. A lot of churches have just kind of put that title down because of some confusion that it might bring with some other people because in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says that when the senior pastor returns, the chief shepherd, that he's gonna set everything up, he's gonna pass out rewards. And a lot of people have said, well, if he's the senior pastor, maybe I should just relinquish that title. It's not a big deal. I think a lot of people make it a big deal. But at this church, we don't have a senior pastor. Uh, We've chosen not to. We have a teaching pastor. We have an administrative pastor. We have some elder pastors, okay? We have a team of plurality, of equality that work together in unity for the greater good, which is the head, which is Jesus Christ and his body, the church. My point, though, is not about how we structure ourselves or who we are, but to him. That, there is a senior pastor. There is a chief shepherd. There is somebody who is greater than any leadership or organization or church body, and that is the head himself, Jesus Christ. And I said this last week briefly in closing in the last, I gave eight minutes to this portion of scripture last week out of a 52-minute sermon, so I felt that we needed to go back and, and take a little bit more out of Romans, the last couple of verses. To understand that Paul had the faith to say, you know what, I've done my part, I'm gonna let go now because I can commend you to him who is able to establish you. That word establish is a fun word to do a a study on, to look into deeper. It means to lay the groundwork for, to set up, to build upon. That's what it means to establish something, literally. And he says, that's the shepherd that I'm commending you to, to moms, to dads, to parents, to kids, grandmas and grandpas. I'm, I'm, all of you are under the leadership now of Jesus Christ. Not that they weren't prior and not that we aren't here present, but I wanted to stress this because each and every one of us are going through life very rapidly. You guys figured that out yet? It's happening. Just had my the oldest son turn four the other day. You know, My youngest kid just turned six months old uh, tomorrow or the next day. Whatever, I can't remember anymore. It, just, it happens so fast. And I, for one, as a pastor, stand with Paul on this assurance that to him and his ability to finish the work in your life and in my life, that way I can sleep at night. That way I don't have to worry about my kids necessarily. I pray for them, but I don't want to worry about them because they're God's kids, really. Okay? I'm their dad at this point, their, their governor, their manager, their mentor, their lover, really. But I'm just holding them up, raising them to the Lord, who's actually their father in heaven, really. And Paul here stands on this and says, you know what? You're established, and he's going to be faithful. There's nothing that can stop his plan from happening in your life. I talked to two single guys this week. One came down from Portland to visit and stay the night. Uh, He's coming to the end of a two-year program in his Bible college and kind of doesn't know what to do now. Another guy's going through some life transition where some things are coming to a drastic end and some new doors are opening. And to both of these guys, I could speak with faith in the Lord 
that his plan for them, because they're kind of like this, his plan for them won't be stopped. There's nothing that can stop it. Okay? Now, when you're younger, you, you don't see that as clearly, and you're grasping for things and trying to put things in order and hold on to life. And I'm younger, by the way. Okay, I'm talking about me. And you realize slowly but surely that the Lord will finish the work that he began. He will be faithful to complete it. Not without trial. That's impossible. Not without testing. That would be horrible. Because you see, we gain knowledge and we gain experience in order to be tested. That is the purpose. Peter told us not to be surprised at the tests we find ourselves in. You ever get surprised at just how crazy your life is? Okay. I used to be a competitor in wrestling and football. And uh, I'll tell you what, whenever I showed up to wrestle at a meet, I was never surprised that there was another guy to wrestle. You know, it's like, oh, really? I thought I was going to get a bye, you know, which means they just raise your hand for nothing. Occasionally you'd expect a bye and get somebody to wrestle and that would really throw you for a loop. But you never really are surprised in this area of competition when things get tough. But in Christianity and in life, sometimes we get mad, we get distraught. I'll tell you what, Paul says, according to these three things, the gospel, the preaching of Jesus, and the mystery, and I want to I zip around a little bit today. We're going to jump over to the right to the book of Ephesians to look a little bit more at this word mystery. I mentioned it briefly last week. It's the Greek word mysterion. If you would like to go deeper in your Bible study and your own application, uh, do a word study on the word mystery in the New Testament. Okay? It's mentioned throughout. Jesus was the one who started it in Mark chapter 4. He said to you, to the believers, he said the mystery of God has been revealed. But to everyone else on the outside, things come to them in parables. He said, it's confusing to some people, but to you there's been revelation of a mystery and the definitive article in the Greek implies that it's not just mystery, mystery in general, but it's speaking of a specific mystery that has been revealed. Okay, I need you to understand that too. In the Greek language, it's not a mystery that's, that's yet to be unveiled like the 2013 Lexus. You know, we don't know what that looks like yet. Okay, this is a mystery that was a mystery until the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word mysterion. So I want you to turn now to Ephesians. That's to the right. Hope you have a Bible. If you don't get one, they're right in front of you, underneath the person by you. Ephesians chapter three. Because as Paul commends these people to the establishment of this process of God being their shepherd, of God leading them, he doesn't just commend them. I use the illustration of a father letting go of a bike Okay, and that illustration breaks down rapidly, as all illustrations do when you push them too far. But our Father in heaven, if you was to let go of that bike, would then continue to run after us, that is through the Holy Spirit, and to be with us, and to allow the church to grow in a way. And so I want you to see Paul's heart, Pastor Paul, beginning in verse 19 of chapter two. Yeah, chapter two, I want you to get to three and then look up the... Last couple of verses. He says, Now therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Paul would use pictures of buildings, of construction, of fields, of farming, of races, of competition, in order to illustrate for his readers and for us learners today the truths of God. And in this little portion we just read, he says, now you're being fitted. You're being crafted 
into the perfect stone to be part of the building of the household of God that you might be a dwelling place of his spirit. And all of those should just like blow you over. It depends on how much coffee you've had today, but that should just knock you right down. God's fashioning you. He's changing you even as we speak in order that you would fit better into his program and to be more beautiful and to be more fit that he would dwell in you deeper and more rich. That's a promise. If you know anything about forming rocks into shape, it takes chisels, hammers, other rocks. There's all kinds of friction involved there. Okay, I'm not going down that road today, but you can think about that yourselves. Verse one of chapter three, he says this. For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Then he digresses. His mind gets away from him. You guys know anybody that that happens to? Why is that funny? It happens. Okay, he digresses the next seven verses. He says, for this reason, then he digresses. Pick up with me in verse eight. He says, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all to see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, that's us, to the principalities and powers and heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the mystery he's unfolding for us. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask you that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for which for you, which is your glory. Look at verse one, or the first sentence of verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I wanna catch up to speed before we take the bulk of our, our day today out of here. Next 20 minutes will be in Ephesians, okay? So, so land now, put your thinking cap on. Paul ends in Romans saying, I commit to you now because of the ability of our Savior. He can do it. Paul knew in himself that he really couldn't do it. He couldn't lead people the way the shepherd could, nor would he even try to. And he said those three things, the gospel and the preaching of Jesus according to the mystery is the key of how you will grow, of how you will change, of how you will do well in this life. Anybody uh, would love to go to a self-help seminar that guaranteed to work? I mean, in your flesh, you know, it's like this will change everything, you know, be the best you that you can be, you know, or uh, whatever the title is. You would go if you were guaranteed that this is gonna change everything about you. Here's the deal. The thing that is guaranteed to ensure your success, your development, and your well-being is the mystery. Colossians chapter one, verse 27 says, the mystery is the hope of glory, Christ in you. Now we, we accept that, you know, at the end I'll, I'll, I'll pray and say, if you wanna ask Jesus to come into your heart, raise your hands. We've heard that before. It's the mystery being revealed. In that day, though, this was new. Messiah living in me, God Almighty and his Holy Spirit dwelling within this broken vessel. And it was a mystery that we're kind of well uh, familiar with, but in that day, it was brand new. And I want you to understand, as Paul lets go of this bike of theology, his heart is not one that would then close his eyes and hope that his church, his kids, his people would crash but instead he goes the next step further. And this is my, my commendation to y'all today as well as we journey into uh, 2012. Paul then prays for four things for his church, for his people. I was talking with my dad on Friday. We were talking about Romans and coming to the end. And, 
and uh, the transition teaching into the book of Acts, which will be in next week, and, and all that we learned in Romans. And even I, who had to learn it first, process it and apply it, and then come up here and produce it and teach it. Even I look back at Romans chapter four and five and six and others and say, man, there's so much more and so much that leaked right through me. Anybody have a leak in their brain? You know, you hear a great sermon and you're like, man, that sermon was amazing. Like, what was it about? I was like, I don't know. Oh man, it was so good. <laughs> okay, because it happens. And my dad and I were talking about how do we, how do we make sure that, that we're walking in the fullness of the things of God? And I began to think and meditate and pray and read on how you and I in this church can continue to grow as we're been commended to the shepherd. Now, Paul prays for four things, and I want you to know this is my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for my wife, my prayer for my kids, my prayer for my neighbors, my prayer for my church, and my prayer for the community, and it ought to be yours as well. It can be. If you want to do well in your Christianity, you want to run with the shepherd and let him use you for greatness. Because I believe God has given to each man and woman a desire for greatness. Each one of us. A desire somewhere. And that greatness has different definitions, please. But that desire for greatness can be given, surrendered to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, use me as your vessel. What do you want for me? Paul says, for this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I go to prayer. He's in prison, writing this letter, by the way. Here he's in prison, probably locked to the wall. He's on his knees saying, guys, you know what I'm doing for you? I'm praying, knees down. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say you have to bow your knees to pray. It helps sometimes though. It implies labor. It implies striving. It implies giving. It implies dying to self. And I wanna put that out there. If you want to see change in your life, if you wanna see growth, if you wanna see application of what we just learned in Romans, there's gonna have to be some dying. There's gonna have to be some given. Insanity, the definition, one of them, is to do what you've always done and hope and expect for it to result differently. I want different results in a lot of areas in my life, a lot of areas. And the Lord says, you you willing to give a little? You willing to die a little? You willing to labor a little? I've I've used the illustration. I I was a member of the YMCA in Ashland for many years, but saw no results at all. it was auto pay they would just take my money out i'd have to think about it you know and every month there would be my 47 dollars or 57 dollars for a family membership going out the door didn't change me a bit because i never went paul says you know what i'm doing i'm laboring i'm getting into this i'm gonna work for this to happen he prays four things he says i'm praying to the father of our lord jesus christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. The first thing he prays for, this group, and I would encourage you to pray for for yourself and for your family, is he prays that they would have strength within their inner man. That their inner man would be strengthened according to the riches of God. I wanna break this down for you so you get the full understanding. He's saying according to the riches of God, not from the riches of God. Do you know the difference? According to the riches of God is in likeness of how rich God is. From the riches of God is just a portion of our God's riches. Let me illustrate it this way. If I was a billionaire and I gave you $10, I would have given to you from my riches. Now, if I was a billionaire and I gave to you a million dollars, I would have given to you according to my riches. 
There's a difference in the, in the, in the English there, in the, the Greek, in the way that he formed this sentence. He says, I want you to be strengthened according to the riches of God. Now, is our God rich, powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing? Wow, transcendent, you know, sovereign. Okay, that's his checkbook. He just pulled it out and showed you his checkbook. Like, whoa. He says, I want you guys to be strengthened according to your inner man with those kinds of riches. Now, the outer man we're very familiar with. You guys saw him or her this morning when you looked in the mirror, you know? Some of you ran away and didn't fix it. You need to work, work on that. You know, we look in the mirror and we deal with it. We're very well aware of our outer man. Some of you thought about your outer man a lot this week, you know, with the cheesecake and the apple pie and the ice cream and the turkey and the stuffing and the gravy and the cranberries and the yams and the soda and the stuff and the eggnog. You know, you thought about it. It's like, oh, this guy's hurting. By the way, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that the outer man is perishing. Okay, we understand that. It's, it's fading away. Some of you, it's actually expanding and fading away at the same time. But it is fading away. But the inner man is being renewed daily. Paul says, I want your inner man to be strong. I want you to think about who you are in this journey. Okay, what kind of person are you? Do you need to be strengthened according to the riches of God in your inner person? Your inner person. The person that really only you and God know. We're very familiar with who you are on the outside and the way you present yourself. But Paul's prayer is, you know what? I want you to have that perfect peace within. I want your, your homeostasis, your core person, I want you to be so strong in the things of God and in the grace of God. I've seen people like this, okay? I've had moments like this in my own life where there's just a serenity and a peace and a fullness that is transcendent, that nothing can touch Things can be on fire in your house and it doesn't matter. The, the neighbors can be acting this way or that way. Your kids, you don't know where they're at. They're missing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and that inner man is strong in his strength. And I'll tell you what, in today's day and age, I see a lot of the opposite of this. I see, as a matter of fact, in the next uh, chapter, chapter four, he's gonna say that the gifts and the offices of the church, pastors and teachers, prophets, evangelists, those giftings are in order to strengthen the church that they wouldn't strengthen strengthen the church that they wouldn't be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and trickery of man. Okay? I see a lot of Christianity that's very fickle in nature. Whether there's economic ups or downs, whether there's political ups or downs, or whether you're a beaver fan or a duck fan, you know, it's just sometimes it goes well for you and sometimes it doesn't. And I see Christians wavering, myself included. And Paul's prayer is, you know what? I just want you to be solid. I want you to be that guy or that gal. When everything's great, you say, praise the Lord. He's good to me. And when everything's questionable and difficult, you're strengthened in the inner man. There's a maturity there. Pray that for yourself. Because life's coming at you. It's not gonna get any easier. I don't care what infomercial you just paid for last night. It's not gonna get any easier. It's gonna get more difficult. And Paul says, I I see that coming. So I want you to be strengthened according to the inner man. Now, by the way, this is a a gift from the Spirit of God. A lot of people think you have to conjure up the Spirit of God. This is a gift that comes down from the Spirit of God. He's the giver. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. I would just encourage you to be an asker. Uh, My kids ask me for many things and they get a lot of them because they just keep asking. Verse 17, the second thing he prayed for. He said that that Christ may dwell... In your hearts, through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height. Stop right there, eyes up here. The second thing he prayed for is he prayed for a depth of the understanding of our love of God. And he used an agricultural term. He used another term in there, rooted and grounded. He used a, a construction term. Both of these terms, both rooted and grounded, speak of depth in our understanding of the love of God. Okay, if you think of a root system of a tree, roots need to go down in order to gain nutrients and have stability in the storms of life and in the heat of the day. Okay? And he says, I want you guys, I want this church to be rooted. Now, how do you get your roots fed? Primarily through the water of the word of God. Okay? Being a spiritual person, reading the scriptures. I talked to a guy who, uh, this week again and, and just said, man, he's, he's at that crossroad. I said, just read the Psalms and Proverbs every day. It's heart medicine. It'll, it'll feed your heart. Go to church, get the theology and doctrine, but you just need your heart to connect with the Lord. Make those roots strong because the storm is coming and you don't want to get blown over because the drought and the test are on the way. He also uses the illustration of being grounded. That is that foundation. I heard a story by Warren Wiersbe, uh, an old pastor, and he was talking about the second church he built and it was taking a lot longer to construct because they were building on a dry lake bed and they had to do soil samples and the foundation had to be done right. And he was complaining to the architect at the time, man, this has taken so long. And the architect looked at him and said, well, pastor, the foundation is the most important part of the building. If you don't go deep, you'll never be able to go high. And the foundation that is laid between you and I and between the Lord in our lives will determine how God builds upon that, how we can go high in the things of God. His prayer, man, that you would have good roots, solid roots, deep roots, and that you would have that foundation. Remember, he's committed us to the one who's able. My wife and I built a house sometime last year. And uh, right about this time of year, actually, this, this time of year is very nostalgic for many reasons. Now, because I remember in the rain gear, uh, laying the foundation and preparing the ground as well. And when the company that we hired to build our house came up to us, they said, we're going to get you this guy named Paul. He's going to be your mason. He's going to be the one that lays the foundation. And they got us another guy named Paul also. We thought it was very biblical. Another guy named Paul, and he ran the framing crew. And this company told us, these are our two best contractors we have. And we're getting them off their other jobs. We're bringing them to do yours. I don't know why they did that. Uh, I was very thankful that they did that. And when that happened then in the rain, as they're pouring this foundation with the footings and the sidewalls and all the rest, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just standing there in my rain gear with a shovel looking tough, you know? You know? Someone asked me a question. I was like, I don't know, man. I'm not even getting paid. (laughs) This is costing me money. These guys, ask them. My point is, though, when Paul was on site framing our house, putting the tie downs for the hurricane G-force winds that can happen on on the coast here, it's code now. They were showing us what they were doing, using what I thought was way too much glue and way too much screws, way too much nails, but I didn't complain. You know, use all that you want, bro. And I wasn't worried about the foundation that they were laying, about the prep work. As a matter of fact, I said, you guys know what you're doing. Do this. Paul's prayer is that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. And that ought to be your prayer for yourself. Get on your knees later today and say, Lord, strengthen my inner man. Root me down and ground me, Lord, in order that I would be able to withstand what's coming. He then goes on to say the fourth thing. He says, may, verse 18, the third thing I should say, may we be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height, the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Eyes up here. This word comprehend, do you guys have that in your scriptures? Anybody else have a different word? Okay, the word comprehend 
is a close derivative in our English language of apprehend. You guys know the difference? Comprehend and apprehend. They both come from the same Latin word. The exact same Latin word produces apprehend and comprehend. Okay, to comprehend something means to make it mental, a mental ascension. Like you kind of get it. Like, oh, I'm, I'm comprehending that a little bit. But to apprehend something means to reach out and to grab it and to make it your own and to see it applied in your own life. You understand the difference? Uh, the Latin word, which I don't remember, is the same word where we name certain types and species of monkeys that have that tail that comes out and can actually grab branches. That's where we get the word apprehend from that type of monkey because they can grab stuff and make it their own. Monkeys are pretty cool. <laughs> so apprehend and comprehend, same word. And Paul says, you know what I want? I want you guys to get a deeper grasp. And I want you to apprehend spiritual truth, primarily the love of God. And he gives us four dimensions. You guys got any, anybody have a 3D TV? Anybody go on that route? They're, they're a big push for those. I want to see how that works. Anyway, 3Ds, I'll just do rage, okay? He says here, I want you to comprehend what is the width and what is the depth, what is the height, and what is the length of God's love. And he gives this four-dimensional reality of who our God is, bigger than our technology can even produce at this time, obviously. And his prayer is that they would know, that we would know, that we would explore, comprehend, and apprehend, not just agree with me and nod. Did you know there's a danger at Bible study when you agree and nod? James says, Beware of being hearers only, deceiving yourself, and not being doers. The apprehension part, apprehending it into your life. Nothing wrong with Bible study and nodding. Okay, don't stop nodding. I like nodders. They're good. You know. <laughs> don't nod off. That's not cool. <laughs> but there's a warning. It says, make sure you apprehend this. Put it into your arsenal. And it's specifically talking about the love of God that is transcendent, that does not end. That was demonstrated where? For God so loved the world that he gave. And there's the cross Jesus is on. You've heard it said, Jesus loved the world so much that he stretched his arms out and he died. And there was that cross rooted and grounded there at Golgotha, which is now a bus station outside of Jerusalem. You can see the skull, uh, the hill there. The love of God, he prays. I want you to get it. I want you to get it. We're, we've been in Romans justification. Talked to this Bible student who was at my house and he broke down to me Romans. I, I mentioned we were in Romans and he busted it out for me, the whole thing. Not verse by verse, but the, the concepts, the justification, the sanctification, the depravity of man. He'd been studying it. This kid's 22 years old. Lived at my house in Ashton for about a year uh, as he was struggling with lifestyles down there and trying to get off drugs and many other things. And now Romans has got through him in a way that's changed his life. And he's beginning to comprehend and to apprehend the love of God. That's my prayer for myself, for my wife, for my kids, and for you as well. The fourth thing he prays for, and lastly for today. He says in verse 19, that we would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This is again something I just was talking with people I love this week about the Lord. And about the Lord. Did you know that the Lord fills you? Okay? The Bible says that we are already full in him. Anybody not feel full today, though? There's a difference. Let me just tell you that here's the, the truth. There's positional truth. If you're in Christ today and he's in you, you are full. Ephesians says that. It's done. That's positional. Okay? It doesn't change. It's a declaration of God. Don't argue. <laughs> but then there's practical. 
Then there's the practical filling. Are you full of the Lord? You've heard that, that saying, you know, man, I, I want to be full of the Spirit. And that has many different definitions. I'm not going there today. It's not my point. But to be full, to have the fullness of Christ. I believe the best illustration would be something along the lines of a theme park. When you go to a theme park, you're going, there's the anticipation of getting there and you pay the ticket, but you don't really worry about it. You've budgeted, you know, $100 to get into Disneyland or whatever it is. And you get in there and you go and you start riding these rides in order to get full of Disneyland. You want to experience it as deep as you can. Ride every ride over and over and just get crazy, okay? But if you're a Christian like me, there was a moment in time where the Lord came into your life, where you began to comprehend his love, where that inner man began to, to heartbeat again, began to live. And you had this foundation of being rooted and grounded. And you've had this fullness. But if you're like me, you leak. And it tends to get pushed out by the things around us. We live in a culture that is, I believe, very different than every other culture that has ever existed. The common denominator is humans. Okay? There's always been humans in every culture, which is you know, the first strike against everyone. <laughs> We're there. But we live in a culture that has technology and electricity and, and things at our fingertips. And a lot of things that are being presented to you and presented to me that say, this will make you full. This will fill you. This is what you need. Buy this. Get this. Experience that. Download this. Be a part of that. Go march on Wall Street. Go experience this. This is, this is the one. This is what you're looking for. You see that in yourself? There's a chemical rush, by the way, that happens when you go shopping or when you experience something or when you download a song. You know, I just spent 99 cents. They're buck 29 now. I just spent $1.29 on iTunes. I get this brand new song. I get to listen to it. And it lasts for about, you know, three and a half minutes. Then I need another song. Then I need another mocha. Then I need another TV. I didn't get the TV, but, you know, the list goes on and on. We're built, by the way. You and I are DNA pre-wired for that experience. Okay? We are experiential beings. God has given to us many senses to enjoy, to explore. And the world right now is on a hiatus in order for us to be distracted by the cares of this world and everything else away from what Paul is praying for, saying, I want you guys to have the fullness of Christ. As I was on my knees in, my, in front of my fireplace, I wasn't in my fireplace, in front of my fireplace this morning praying for this, saying, Lord, I want this. I want to be full. I think I've felt that before. I think I've been in the, in, in, that, in the presence where nothing else matters. And there's no more room to even explore the joy of God because I'm there. But Lord, there's other things that have crept in. And the Lord began to show me things in my life that have possibly taken that joy away. Counterfeits, thieves, moths, rust, whatever it is, whatever you're looking to. And Paul says, you know what? I want you guys, I want you to know the love of Christ by the way, he says this, he wants us to know the love of Christ which passes, which passes knowledge. Just go drink some coffee and freak out about that for a while. He wants us to know something that passes knowledge. He wants us to explore something that has no end. Okay? Talk about fullness. Talk about a movie that never ends. Talk about experience that has no expiration date. And it's God himself in Paul's prayer is that we would be strengthened. Because if you do these things in order, find yourself strengthened on the inner man, not tossed to and fro. You're just solid in the Lord. And you're rooted and you're grounded. That is, you have a deepening of the love of God. And you're beginning to have a comprehension that leads to an apprehension that is apprehending the things of God. You're going to end in that fullness. 
you're going to end in that fullness. And then when the Lord, through Paul, through your life, even right now, by the way, you're on your bike. Okay? If you're a believer today. It's been constructed. It's been redeemed. It's been fit, fashioned, and formatted for you. Special fit. And you're driving on your bike. Some of you still have training wheels. It's cool. You know? And you're going. And the Lord's watching you. He says, I want you to be full. Now he again, Paul here, without being able to continue to pen the letter to the Ephesians without pausing again to worship God, ends this chapter in verses 20 and 21. He says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul says he wants them to be rooted, grounded, full, comprehending, basically fervent in spirits. It means to be boiling over. And he says here, to God be the glory in the church, both now and forever. If you would get with me today and say, yeah, let's do that. Let's make sure that God gets the glory from my life by the way I live, the way I drive, the way I think, the way I repent, the way I I argue with my spouse or my friends, the way I do what I do, may I be full because the glory of God through the church is both now and forever. You want a guaranteed return on your investment portfolio? Okay, live for Christ now, his glory now. If you with me commit to say, God, I want my life to be a reflection of your glory. I want to be the best that I can possibly be for one reason, so others would see how good you are. God then well, I believe, give you his spirit and his fullness and his power and his peace and his gifts and his anointing and his leading on that purpose in order that others would see the way you live in high school or beyond or college or in your empty nest or whatever's going on. And they would say, man, your God is, he's up to something. He's different. He's real. He's true. And he's alive. And this is Paul's prayer for you and for me. So if you guys would bow your heads, I'm going to pray and just ask God to do this for us as well. This is the mystery. We're going to get into the book of Acts next week. But I don't want to leave this theology and this application without asking the Lord to fill us. So Father, I thank you for my friends and for my family. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to be alive. And we end this service here at this church this morning knowing that there's a whole lot of day left some long drives ahead of us and some turkey to figure out what to do with. And Lord, I do pray that you would resensitize our hearts to have a desire, Lord, for things better and bigger than the next greatest gadget. May we not be looking to Cyber Monday tomorrow, but Lord, may we be looking to the Savior of people, to the Savior of the nations. I pray, God, that you would truly indeed strengthen the inner men and the inner woman of this room and those listening on the radio and the internet and wherever, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us even now, Lord. May there be nothing formed against us that would prosper. May there be no test or trial or trick, Lord, that would trip us up, but instead may we find ourselves being formed through patience and through long-suffering into the image of Jesus Christ, Lord. May there be strength given even right now, serenity and peace. Lord, I pray also that there would be a new depth. That, Lord, we'd have a depth for your love and a depth of love. That we wouldn't be paupers. We wouldn't be shallow, Lord. We wouldn't be haphazard in the way that we explore our love for you and our love for one another. 
but Lord, that it would be rooted and it would be grounded, it would go deep in order that you, Lord, can build high upon that foundation. I ask that you would do that, Lord. I pray, Lord, for a spiritual comprehension. I pray that we would apprehend the things of God, Lord, especially the love of God that was demonstrated once and for all on the cross, lest we forget, lest we stumble, lest we fall, and lest we forget, Lord, that you saved us even while we were yet sinners. You died for us to show your glory. And I pray that we would apprehend that today. We would hold our heads high. We've already taken communion as a celebration and it's impossible to take communion without lifting your head up as we tip that cup back. And I pray that today, Lord, we would comprehend and apprehend your love. And I pray most of all, Lord, that there would be a fullness that we would make room for you, that we would put down the remote control, put down Facebook, put down the phone, put down the magazine, put down the novel, put down the things in our lives in order to make room for you to dwell in us richly. You show us, Lord. You're the shepherd. You're the craftsman. You're the builder. You're the farmer. You're the coach. You're the savior. And you are God. And we ask, Lord, now that you'd fill us and you would lead us and you would do a mighty work in this church and in this town, in this season, for your glory, which will last forever. In Jesus' name, amen.